I have on the screen a picture that is a magic mind or a magic eye puzzle. Have you ever seen one of these? Technically called an audio stereogram. They were very popular in the 90s. Uh, these are uh, pictures. It's a 3D image that is seen in the midst of uh, all the other colors. And if you diverge your eyes as you look at the 2D pattern, you will see this hidden 3D image. This is an image of a shark. Of course it is, you say. <laughs> you, you may not be able to see this because this is a replication of the actual picture and it's too far away, but if it were in a book and you can go online, you would see this. And what I do, to diverge your eyes means to look beyond the image or through the image, which makes no sense. So I just stare at the image until my eyes go fuzzy. <laughs> and then suddenly, boom, the 3D picture comes out. Have you ever done that? And apparently some people can't do it. Uh, maybe something the way that their mind works and then other people can. And many give up while trying because they can't see a thing and they feel foolish. In fact, the first time I did it, I thought for sure there was nothing there, but my friend was just pulling my leg. No, keep staring. Keep staring. There's a picture. You know, that's what a lot of people say about God and Christianity. I don't see anything. Well, well, keep staring. Keep looking. Look at the picture. Look at creation. There he is. And they say, I'm staring, but I don't get it. When you think about it, it is our job to see and to tell. That's really what Christmas is all about. And I want to invite you to go to John's Gospel, chapter 12. We've been studying in the book of Isaiah the advent of Christ, but we're going to continue that theme connected to Isaiah, but starting with John's Gospel, chapter 12. This is before the upper room discourse. Jesus nearing the end of his ministry and in verse 37 of John 12, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who said, and this is taken from what we call Isaiah 53, Lord who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah said elsewhere, and this is Isaiah chapter 6, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Now that portion from Isaiah 6 quoted here in John 12 has caused a lot of issues with people. But let me try to clarify it in a very simple way. The could not of verse 39 is based on the would not of verse 37. They would not believe, so a time came when they could not. My spirit shall not always strive with man, we read in the book of Genesis. In the mercy and grace of God, he waits and pleads and invites, but there comes a time when God's mercy comes 
to an end. And sometimes those who will not cannot. What a sad day that is. I believe there are people in our own sphere, maybe in our own families, who have slipped over into that can't believe because the Spirit has withdrawn his grace. Now, I think that's a rather rare situation, but that's exactly what Isaiah is talking about here, and it happened among the Israelites. But get this. This is verse 41, and this is what I want you to see. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Isn't that a great verse? When did Isaiah write? 700 years before Jesus. The Dead Sea Scrolls uncovered a full uh, commentary of Isaiah. It's the longest complete uh, book that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. If you unroll this Isaiah, it is, a, it is 24 feet long. And it was written in 150 B.C., which, of course, was a copy of other copies that came down from the original back 740 B.C. I mean, 100 years before, 150 years before Jesus was born. This is what the Scripture is declaring to us. Isaiah said this because he saw him. The personal pronoun is used in most translations, but it's clearly referring to Jesus. And that's the way it's translated in the NIV and also in the New Living. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. So I think this verse neatly encapsulates what we ought to do to celebrate Christmas. It, it neatly comprises the main features of what we call this holiday season. And the first thing is simply this. We need to visualize or see Christ clearly. Isaiah said this because he saw the glory of Jesus. He was using his eyes. The visualization for him could have been a vision and we're going to read about one in just a moment. So he could have literally seen the glory of God with his eyes, but also in a real sense, the prophets saw with the eyes of faith. There is this sense of recognition. I see him. I get it. And then all that understanding that flows into the soul motivates us to transform our behavior and live a different way. Now for a moment, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6 because that's the portion he's talking about when he says he's blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts. Isaiah chapter 6, that familiar portion of Scripture. Isaiah was born of royal blood. He was one of the elite. He had easy access to the king. And Uzziah was a great king. It was the most prosperous time in the entire uh, land of Israel ever since the division of the monarchy after the death of Solomon. So in this time of prosperity, Isaiah is doing pretty well as a first-class, upper-class individual with access to the king. But look at verse 1 of chapter 6, Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, boy, things changed after that. 
And this is when Isaiah was called to become a prophet. He said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high, exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. In verse 2, he describes the seraphim with the wings as they cover themselves and fly. And they were calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Not only was there loud sound, but it says that verse 4, their voices shook the doorposts and moved the thresholds. And the temple was filled with smoke. Wow, that would be exciting. I'd like to see that portrayed accurately. And Isaiah experienced it. Now, did you notice he saw the glory of the thrice holy God? And when he did, he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen God as he really is. And in relationship to him, I'm wicked. But then the angel came, the seraph came with a live coal and touched his lips and said, your guilt is taken away, your sins are forgiven. And then the Lord said, verse 8, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And God said, okay, today you are my prophet, a prophet of royal blood. And life has been cushy up to this point in time, but it's going to get a little harder. Because I'm going to give a message to you that the people will reject. Verse 9, go and tell this people, ever hearing, but never understanding. Ever seeing, but never perceiving. You can see, but not see. You can look at the picture, but not comprehend the image. You can read the Bible and see the words, but not see the Savior. Verse 10, the heart of this people is calloused and their ears are dull and they close their eyes. And, and that's the prophecy that John mentions. Now let me sim simply say this to you. The, the great Old Testament theologian, Alec Mortier, said Isaiah spoke primarily of the glory of Jehovah that filled the temple. But John spoke of the glory of Jesus and made no core distinction between the two, pointing to the oneness of Jesus and Yahweh. Isn't this a great passage to show that Jesus is God? For Isaiah saw the glory. And when we talk about glory, it's, it's a hard thing to define, but it is the sense of majesty it often speaks of warmth and shining brightness. It appears to be all the moral perfections of God on display. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his unity with the Father. Isaiah saw all of those things. And as we've already noticed, we've looked at Isaiah 7.14. And that's where a sign is going to be giving, given unto you. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. And then we looked at Isaiah chapter 9. Unto us a son is born. Unto us a child is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. We looked at Isaiah 55. As the rain comes down, so is the word, the living word of God, 
Jesus himself comes down and waters the earth and doesn't return until he accomplishes his purpose. Isaiah saw Jesus. He saw his mission. He understood his message. And he saw his glory. And that's what you and I need to do. We need to see Jesus. It is to capture the essence of his character when we comprehend him. That's another good word. To, to comprehend his virtue. To make out his personhood. We have expressions like this, don't we? Well, I've never met the man, but I, I think that I know him because of what you've told me. It's like I know him. And so we put together a mental image based on the knowledge we have and the facts given to us. We imagine in our mind, and then sometimes when we see the person, we say something like this, they're nothing like I imagined. You hear a voice on the radio, and if you hear it long enough without seeing the person, you've got an image of the person, and you see the person, and sometimes you are shocked. It's a good thing you're on radio, my friend. <laughs> it's not what I thought. Have you seen... Jesus? How do I see him? How do I see Jesus? Well, let me give you some, some ways because we don't see him with our literal eyes. This is the tricky thing. We see him on the pages of Scripture. Search the Scriptures, Jesus said, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. This book is about Jesus. Jesus took the Old Testament, Moses, the law and the prophets, and he, said, and he taught about the things concerning himself from the Old Testament text. And now we see that Isaiah was speaking of Jesus because he looked into the future and saw his glory and declared what was going to happen. When we read the scriptures, we need to make sure that we're taking the word of God in like the bread of life for our soul. So there's this feeding on the scriptures as well. We sing at communion sometimes that song, um, Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord to me, as thou didst break the loaves beside the sea. Beyond the sacred page, I see thee, Lord. My spirit pants for thee. Oh, living word. So it's possible to read the pages of Scripture and not see Jesus. You have to see him as though looking through the Scripture. You have to see him when compiling his bio and looking at his glory and listing his attributes and then meditating upon those things. That's the third thing. You take all this Scripture in and you feed upon it, which is a good Illustration of meditation. To chew it over and over and over again. Psalm 1 says, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but meditate on the law of God day and night. And then you'll be like a tree planted. Stability. Fruitfulness. So that's how I see Jesus, the pages of scripture and feeding on the word like it's the bread of life and meditating on the truth. And then there's the prayer for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm praying, Spirit of the living God, open up my eyes. It's a verse I find myself quoting often before our public meetings together. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. That's Psalm 119. And the spirit who wrote the book is the spirit who illumines our hearts and minds and gives us understanding. And if you're not praying for understanding, it's very possible it will just fly over your head and you'll never get it. By the way, many of us have a harder time comprehending things we read. Some are so quick, their comprehension level's amazing. Uh, I was a very poor reader, probably still am, very slow reader, and uh, so I thought I would take a speed reading course in college. And you know, they chart how many words you read per minute, and I don't remember what mine was, but I doubled or tripled or quadrupled my reading speed. It was amazing, and my comprehension level went down in the dumps because I didn't remember a thing. I don't think I was reading, I think it was skimming. And, and I missed the message. And so the idea is that we are reading the scripture for comprehension and we're putting scripture with scripture like a puzzle being put together so we see the whole of scripture and understand the message. And in doing so, we comprehend Jesus, our mind's eye sees him. It's visualization akin to a dream. And I'm not talking about you having a dream or a vision, but I'm talking about you becoming acquainted with Jesus in the pages of Scripture, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through your own digging and eating and studying and meditating upon the text until you see And you see him with the eyes of faith. The eyes of faith. The Apostle Paul said, we want to take the gospel uh, to those who have never heard. And we pray that their eyes will be opened. And they will turn from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to God. So that they might receive forgiveness of sins. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith. It's the eyes of faith that comprehend who Jesus is. So the writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 11 in verse 2, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. But I can't see him. You must. Not with your literal eyes, but with your spiritual eyes. Helen Keller would write in some of her poetry and prose, I have seen the Lord, and she was blind. So with the eyes of faith, we must see him. Now, the Christmas story is filled with testimonies of those who saw the Lord. You, you, and you don't need to turn there, but back in the Old Testament book of Numbers, it was the prophet Balaam who was paid to curse the people of God, but he couldn't do it. And every time he gave an oracle, every time he gave a prophecy, it came out in favor of Israel, not against them. And one of his great oracles is 2417. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, and a scepter will rise out of Israel. He saw Messiah. 
coming. And Isaiah did the same thing. He saw the coming of the servant of the Messiah. How about the shepherds in Luke chapter 2? Of course, the angels announced to them that the child was born, and there's a sign. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, strips of cloth, and lying in a manger, a feeding trough. Now, Bethlehem was not all that big, and there couldn't have been that many babies born that night. But still, it would be rare to find one in a manger. And they must have gone door to door until they finally found the child they were looking for. They said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And the Bible tells us when they had seen him, they spread the news about him. So again, they're literally seeing the child, but that's what Christmas was all about, the verification. Mary and Joseph saw the child predicted to them, and so did Simeon. So now eight days later, Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Eight days later, uh, they go into the temple for the bris ceremony or the Brit Malah ceremony, which is the circumcision ceremony for a, a young boy in light of the Abrahamic covenant at which the boy gains a name. And so Mary and Joseph are coming now back into Jerusalem with their little boy, and here's Simeon. This is the last part of Luke chapter 2. Now, the Holy Spirit told Simeon that he's not going to die until he sees the Savior. Again, my mind begins to ask a bunch of questions. How long did he have to wait? Well, he's an old guy now. You know, sometimes the promises that God gives to us are not for today or tomorrow, but for another time. And yet we've got to be looking every day. I think he went to the temple every day. And I don't think he had any clue of what he was looking for. <laughs> I'm looking for the Messiah. I have, is he a young strapping lad? Boy, was he surprised if that was the case because a couple came in to have their boy circumcised and the Lord said, there he is. You mean the dad? No, the baby. And Simeon went over and picked him up. This is Luke chapter 2. And he said, Sovereign Lord, just as you promised, you can now let me die because my eyes have seen your salvation prepared in the sight of all your people. Simeon saw him and he praised him and proclaimed the message about him. And then, of course, you know the story of the Magi. They come about a year later following a star. And when they finally arrive, the scripture tells us that they, when following this star, on coming to the house. So if we put all of our chronology together, Jesus is close to a year old. And they have a house in Bethlehem that they're staying in. The Magi come, and in coming to the house, they saw the child. They saw him, the one that the star pointed to, 
and they bowed down and worshipped him and presented gifts. Now, yes, this is far different than the visuals that we will have, but nonetheless important. You and I must see Jesus. Christians are those who see him and follow him. And what happens when you do see him? Like the magi, you will worship. Like the shepherds, you will rejoice. And like Isaiah and the shepherds, you will tell everyone else about him. You get a brand new car and you've just got to tell someone, right? You park it out front. Don't put it in the garage just yet because the neighbors need to see this new car. You call up your brother and say, hey, we got some news. Got a new car. We're excited, and there's nothing wrong with sharing some of that good news. Or how about the, the young lady who just was engaged and has a rock the size of Gibraltar on her finger <laughs> and has a tendency to say to everyone, hello. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. We've decided not to tell anyone about this good news. Well, that doesn't work very long. So when you see him, you want to verbalize. You want to proclaim. The visual turns to the verbal. You see him clearly. Now you want to speak of him constantly with the eyes of faith. And now with the literal mouth, you're telling others. You are a witness in the noun sense, and you want to begin witnessing in the verbal sense. You have seen, and you must tell others what you see. Oh, the shepherds were so good at this. Here are these guys just minding their business out in the fields. And good news to them is a Savior is born. Why is that good news to them? Shepherds know they're sinners. They're outcasts. They can't even go to the temple to offer sacrifices because they're unclean. They can't get close to God. But now the angels have come to them. Apparently the unclean problem wasn't a problem. And they declare, I've got good news for you. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He's a Savior for everyone, but I want you to know he's your Savior. And so that's where they say, let's go and see. And they went and saw. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning him. And they told all that they came in contact with. And all who heard what the shepherds said were amazed. The message truly is amazing. It is powerful. When it comes from someone who's seen Jesus. One of the reasons Christians don't like to witness is because they've not seen anything worth talking about. We know, but we need to go beyond knowing to perceiving. We see, but we need to comprehend. 
And that's what I hope you try to do in your devotions when you read the Bible in the morning. Not just to read a message from the scripture, but see Jesus. Let that be your prayer. Lord, let me see him. And it may not happen every day, but some of those beautiful days will be when you get a glimpse of the grace and of the glory of the one who loves your soul, who is in that very room speaking to you via scripture. That's heaven on earth. And that's what Christmas is all about. And when you have that experience, you want to go and tell. Back to John chapter 12. Did you notice the reaction that is all around our key verse? So our key verse is John 12 and verse 41. Isaiah said this because he saw and he spoke. Well, if you go before... We, we read in verse 37, they still would not believe, even though Jesus did many miracles. If you go back to chapter 1, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, even though he was in the world and the world was made by him, the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. The message of the Gospel is one of constant rejection. But verse 12 of John 1 says, but to as many as received him. So some were believing. Now we go to chapter 12 and look at this. This is verse 42. Verse 37 said there were many who didn't believe, but verse 42 said at the same time, many believed even among the leaders. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear. And that is still the same thing that will shut our mouth today. We're afraid. Our faith, genuine, but our faith is intimidated by the response we're going to get. And yet what we need to realize is that when we actually see Christ, it's impossible to keep it in. I'm not even talking about you learning some evangelism program and beginning to chart you know, a way to talk to every one of your neighbors. Great thing if you want to do that. I'm simply saying the people you come in contact with every day should know that you have been with Jesus. There's something about you. You've seen him. And he's with you. He's your companion. And you want others to know the great story of his salvation. There was a statement that was ringing in my mind as I was studying this, and I went online to find the origin of this statement. I, I knew where I had heard it, but I thought the origin was older, but it wasn't. The statement is this, and you hear many people say, I won't believe it until I see it. I've got to see it to believe it. To which someone said, seeing isn't believing, Believing is seeing. That's a great quote. What church father came up with that one? Well, it was Elf Judy in the first Santa Claus movie of 1994. <laughs> Remember that scene, that cute little elf? And unfortunately, it's about something that doesn't exist. But this is true. Believing is seeing. 
I want to see Jesus literally. And someday every believer will. 1 John chapter 3 says, When we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. But I can see him now by believing. Embracing the truth of Scripture and banking my life upon it. And when I do, I'll do my best to point others to him. And that's what Christmas is all about. One of the brightest moments of my junior high career, and there were not many, <laughs> took place in a school assembly where I was bored to death. Sitting with some of my friends, we came up with a stupid idea that's been done a million times to stare up to the ceiling and point to see how many people we could get doing the same thing. It doesn't take much to entertain junior high kids. And so we did it with all the drama involved. Wow, look at me, hit each other and, you know, point. And, and I bet you we had over half the assembly looking up. And I learned this lesson, if you look up and stare, even for a brief moment with intensity, soon you will attract a crowd of people doing the same thing. If you look at Jesus and point, soon you will attract a crowd of people doing the same thing. Let's pray. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And when we fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, when we look to him and see his glory, we will speak to others about him. May that be our Christmas experience this year. In Jesus' name, amen.